It's time for what you should read. The podcast all about the titles you need. Join three book lovers and a guest as they cover all the best new titles to enjoy with your team. I have that, but I haven't read it yet. Hi, I'm Julia. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kelly. And this is What You Should Read. The podcast where we should all over our books. Now part of the Stolen Dress Entertainment Podcast Network. And welcome back to another very special episode. Today we are interviewing Kelly Barnhill, um, who just whose new book just came out, uh, When Women Were Dragons, and we all read it and loved it. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. We are so excited to have you. Um, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what kind of books you write? I would be happy to. So uh, again, my name is Kelly Barnhill and I write books that are a little bit all over the place. Um, I am the author of five novels for children. I had to count them up in my head really quickly. Uh, So five (laughs) novels for children. um, uh, One of the most recent of which is called uh, The Ogress and the Orphans. um, And my previous book, The Girl Who Drank the Moon, uh, won the Newbery Medal. Those are largely classified as fantasy. Um, uh, sometimes they they blur the lines between fantasy and uh, and science fiction. Sometimes they blur the line between fantasy and realism. Uh, my most recent novel is for adults, and it's my first novel for adults. Uh, it's called When Women Were Dragons, and uh, it is a story um, that I actually referred to as a memoir, typically. Uh, and it's a memoir of a person who doesn't exist, obviously, and a world that doesn't really exist. But it's a memoir all the same. I'll swear that to my dying day. And it is about the mass dragoning of 1955. Surely you've heard of it, uh, in which over 600,000 women uh, turned into dragons and um, flew away, um, uh, sometimes devouring their husbands, sometimes uh, causing things to burst into flames, uh, sometimes devouring other things as well. But mostly they just vanished and nobody will speak of it. Uh, so it's a book about um, it's a book about rage. It's a book about feminism. It is a book about um, how we silence ourselves after trauma uh, and the, uh, the fingerprints that trauma leaves on a person and on a family and on a community and on the whole world. So that's my book. I think that if you listeners, if you have not heard of the mass dragoning, it's because the government has been suppressing that information wow. from you. So <laughs> read the book. <laughs> Indeed. It was, I mean, it was an interesting book for me to write because I, I also write short stories and um, uh, my short stories are largely for adults. And I have a collection of short stories that came out a while ago. And, um, and so the way that this book unfolded was a lot um, uh, it was it was much more similar to the way I, I approached my short stories than my novels, um, in that it um, uh, I had large pieces of um, of text, large chunks of text that sort of came out all at once, and then I kind of had to like move things around and rethink and uh, and weave things together. And um, as opposed to my my novels for children, where uh, I write them longhand, I I think about them for years before I start to write them. Um, uh, it, they, they just, 
they operate in a very different space in my psyche. So, uh, so yeah, it was a, um, but one of the things that I really enjoyed about writing this book was that I, you know, that on one hand we have, um, uh, the plot of one, of one character that is, told in a very traditional way. And, and then the story of a different character, which is told in this kind of, um, uh, documentarian sort of, um, uh, way where we kind of have to, uh, piece together his story. Um, uh, and telling a story in, uh, government documents is really fun. Um, I had a really fun time doing that. So anyway. Yeah, I really enjoyed the structure of that. It almost felt like I was reading an anthropologist's field work. Uh, ethnography um, and a memoir at the same time, like you said. Um, so we definitely want to deep dive into this book, which I absolutely loved. Um, but first, we always start uh, with this question with our guests because um, we're we're nosy and we want to know what are you reading. Oh, good question. So I I should have. Uh... I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm moving in a lot of different directions. I should have brought it over with me. Um, so I'm reading two books right now. One is called Helen in Egypt. Um, and, um, uh, it's a, um, it's an epic poem, actually, um, that is, but that is also sort of told in this, um, uh, moving back and forth between, um, uh, poetry and almost scholarship. Um, I, and it's by an, an author that goes by HD, um, simply her initials. Uh, and it's really good. I think it was written in the thirties. Um, really fantastic book. Uh, and then I'm right, I'm reading a book. And the author is escaping me. I'm going to have to think of it uh, later. But it's about uh, time travel, and it's actually about a um, a an institute of they call themselves uh, practical historians, which is a more polite way of mm. saying time time travelers. And uh, and they um, uh, they go and they bear witness to. Um, uh, uh, things in time, but they learn things like, for example, you know, how a toga is, is, uh, woven or, um, or the, the, the building techniques of, uh, this ship or another ship or whatever. And they sort of see it firsthand so then they can make it and then, you know, show it to other people without telling them exactly how they came by this information just from being really amazing historians. And, um, uh, and of course, you know, chaos ensues and there's a big bad guy, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> Anyway, it's a really good book, and it's called One Damn Thing After Another, which is what one historian called the study of history. Uh, what is history? It's one damn thing after another. <laughs> that sounds great. I love a time travel um, inspired book. I'm, I'm always up for that. Me too. Um, uh, I, I've been reading more of them lately. I, um, uh, I read Annalee Newitz's book, um, uh, the future of a different timeline, which is one of my favorite um, time travel books, I think. So I'm kind of on a time travel kick right now. Ooh, I have to check that one out too. <laughs> um, so you already gave us a really great elevator pitch for your new book, When Women Were Dragons. But one fun thing we like to do uh, on the podcast, if you're familiar with the Reddit thread, Am I the Asshole? Um, if you could give us an Am I the Asshole pitch for the book, that would be wonderful. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I I thought about this. I was trying to figure out 
what to do um, I, if I was going to write one from um, uh, the point of view of um, of Alex herself or Alex's mother mm. uh, and um, and but either way I think I think the, the the more fun one because she is clearly the asshole I mean they are kind of both the assholes actually I mean I think they both would be called the assholes in this in this particular situation but one of them would be um uh, uh, alex's mother writing in saying so my sister disappeared and i shan't say how <laughs> um uh, uh, but my daughter is giving me grief for calling my niece my daughter and raising her as such. And I will not answer any of her questions because why would I? Am I the asshole? And the answer is yes. Oh my God, such the asshole. But you know, but again, came from it from me. Um, uh, a place of pain and um, trying to avoid loss, which is why most of us are assholes actually. Yeah. Uh, avoidance of pain and avoidance of loss. Oh my gosh, so true. That was really, that was great. and. I, that character of the mom, certainly like your, your feelings and perceptions of her as a reader definitely, you know, shift throughout the book. And I thought she was a really well-written complex character in that way. Um, and like you understand her motivations, but yeah, she's such an asshole at, at times. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think for me, I mean that that tends to be a theme in my in my work um, uh, that just about the ways in which parents can be as loving as can be and as well-meaning as can be and can fail their children anyway right totally we think we like to tell ourselves this false narrative that all we have to do is love our children and that's enough and it isn't it never has been it's always been a fallacy and um and so what is what is motivating mom is all kinds of i mean it, it goes beyond um uh, uh you know just just wanting to protect her which is true and wanting to love her which is also true um but um that fear of loss that fear of loss and that fear of losing control um not of her daughter specifically but but control in a larger sense of you know being able to control your result, your own destiny or at least be able to choose the path of of slightly more happiness uh, in a slew of not great options right um uh, that um uh because she's not able to see past that and to see past the sort of like the fingerprints of her own trauma um, uh, she does fail Alex and she fails Beatrice too. She fails yeah. her children. Yeah. But loves mm -hmm. them, right? I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the thing I loved most about this, and I mean, basically everything, I loved everything about this the most, but, um, it feels like this year, especially what's keeping everybody going, or at least me is both rage and the connections that I've been able to form with myself and with other people. Um, and I felt that all through this book too. That's not a question, just something I very, very much needed to say. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, um, I mean, this book started out as a as an expression of rage and from a place of deep rage. And in fact, for like the first like three weeks of its existence, it was called Rage Story at the top of the document. <laughs> So, um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I, I think that, um, I mean, I mean, all of us have been in this, this place of like, rage and worry and anxiety about, you know, what is going to happen. I mean, really, since 2016? I mean, yes. probably, I mean, probably earlier, too. Um, uh, for those of us who were um, uh, uh, sort of bearing witness to the rise of the new online misogyny, the rise of um, uh, the sort of like weird interconnectedness um, uh, with um, a highly motivated and highly armed, um, uh, you know, crazy racists and crazy anti-Semites and crazy all this stuff. It all seems sort of linked together in ways that are hard to identify, but we see anyway. Um, uh, particularly those of us who, you know, sort of um, uh, uh, saw like the rise of Gamergate and all of that stuff, right? That um, uh, That is, um, again, it's complicated and it's hard to actually put our fingers on, but we can uh, but we can sort of see its effects in like kind of spidery ways. Um, and so it's been an, it's been an anxious time and it's been a time that like makes us really mad. Um, uh, and, uh, and that we're bearing witness to, um, uh, the fruits of the labor that were, that was started a lot earlier. And now we're going to lose our right to choose. And all yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's a dark time. Um, it's a um, it's a confusing time, and I think it's going to be. Um, we're looking at difficult days for a while, frankly. Um, my my favorite part about that is the way that over and over I have been told that I'm just being hysterical, and you know it's not going to happen. You're just going worst case scenario, and it's like, but you've been telling me that for four years, and I've been right every time for four years. Please put. To, oh my god. Oh, no. yeah. yeah, my um, uh, when the news broke about the um, uh, the Supreme Court decision, I you know I was just we were, my husband and I were watching television and I was just sort of scrolling through Twitter like an idiot um, uh, because it doesn't do anything for anybody's mental health. I'm scrolling no. through and, I, and so I just happened to be there like that moment that the that the news dropped. And I started panicking. I started kind of hyperventilating. I'm explaining to my husband what's going on. And he said, calm down. Oh. And then he sort of sees my face. He was like, or. And then, and then you turned into a dragon. <laughs> I was like, do you want to be murdered right now or do you want to sleep in the garage forever um, uh, and uh, um, uh, yeah so anyway there was some backtracking happening in the Barnhill house right away <laughs> wow he's so lucky you didn't turn into a dragon and devour him at that moment yeah. <laughs> I mean who would have been me yeah. <laughs> Why would anyone? Why would anyone's first words be "calm down"? That never. That never helps. No. 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 no it's you know it was a teachable moment. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. 
and you you talk about this in the acknowledgments a little bit, but um, what was what was the first idea or inspiration for this book? Well, I was in um, in my minivan um, uh, driving with my daughter, and we were listening to the Kavanaugh hearings. And um, and it was terrible. It was God. It was terrible, terrible days. And yeah, normally when my, you know, my daughter is in college now, but at the time she was in high school, she was fifteen. And um, and it, normally when she would get in the car, she would you know connect her phone with the um, uh, uh, with the car radio and set a playlist so that we didn't have to talk because she's a teenager and uh, and 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 normally she did not want to listen to the news but it was when um, Christine Blasey Ford was um, uh, was giving her testimony and you know, she was so clear and she was so specific and she was so brave and she did her best to try and convince America to from making a terrible mistake and um and so my daughter gets in the car and the hearings were on and she didn't touch the radio instead she just sat in the car and she listened and we're driving to play practice and um and we're both listening to her talking about memory and talking about um, uh, what happens to the brain in these very traumatic events and why those memories are so indelible uh, and why they feed into our perception of the world and ourselves and what is safe and what is not safe and all of that. And um, she did. She did a really good job teaching us about what trauma looks like and and how it operates in a human person. Uh, so I really appreciate her for that. And um, but as we were driving, I had this sudden realization that I was my daughter's exact same age when Anita Hill also addressed that same body. Uh, also um, uh, was um, uh, describing a, a man who was rendered unfit for office for the same sort of crime and uh, unfit for lifetime office, right? Um, making decisions that affect all of us. Um, and, and so that question of fitness is actually really it matters, right? It just really matters. And I realized that here we were a full generation leader, an exact generation leader, and we were doing the same goddamn thing. I was just so angry. I was so angry for her. I was angry for, um, for what happened to Christine Blasey Ford. I was angry for what happened to Dr. Hill. I was angry for all of this. And then we got we got to where we were going and my daughter turns off the radio and she said, Mom, I have to tell you something. And she goes on to uh, explain to me that um, uh, a, a teacher who was really important to her, who like was a really like, you know, was a, this sort of mainstay in her life, who was like, a um, uh, you know, kind of his room was a safe place for her. He had her be his um, uh, his aide. Um, uh, he confided in her, all of this stuff. 
she got a, uh, a text from an, uh, a student who had graduated that um, he was making passes at her um, and um, uh, telling her she was, they were in an open relationship, blah, 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 blah. She wrote to his wife. She was like, no, <laughs> we're not, you know? And so, but she was, she was what my daughter was to him before, you know? And so that question of, you know, Nothing happened to my child. She's fine. Everything is fine. But was my child being groomed? I will never know. I will never know that. Um, uh, I do know that, um, yeah, it just, there, he had a, a, a photograph of her, of the two of them, because they came to school wearing, accidentally wearing matching shirts. He showed it to her one time. He was just like, whenever I'm feeling sad, I look at this picture. It makes me feel happy. And this is the same phone that was sending gross messages to a girl who was just 18, right? And that was so yucky to me. And, um, and you know, so what I found was that shirt in the trash a while ago, right? Ah. I know, like the ways in which those things express themselves, the wrongness of things, um, uh, we, we take them in and it changes our behavior. It changes our idea of ourselves. It changes what we believe is possible for us. Like they all matter. And so I looked at her, she's explaining this to me. And then she also explains that, oh, by the way, I found out that, you you know, these boys that were friends of mine um, behaved in this way too, in the same way that Brett Kavanaugh did. And I just, she's telling me all of this. And I was like, honey, I don't want you to be scared, but your mom is going to yell and swear for a good long time. And I just erupted. I just, just yelling in the car, you know, just that, that violation of friendship, that violation of trust, that violation of, of, of just professional responsibility and also professional awesomeness. This teacher was an amazing teacher, right? An amazing teacher. And, and how dare you? How dare you? Um, how dare you reach where you do not deserve to reach? How dare you lay claim to what you have no right to lay claim to? How dare you? So I swore for a long time and then finally like it's just sort of and you get the thing about rage is that it clarifies and it needs to get out. When we keep it inside, it hurts us, right? Uh, and, and once we can like let go of it, you reach this point of clarity and peace, right? And I took a deep breath and my daughter looks at me and she was like, mom, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think I'm okay. I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I think I'm okay. And I said, all right. Well, um, uh, why don't you go to why don't you go to practice, and we'll talk about this, about this when you get home. And so she did, and I just like was driving back, and I just felt like I felt like my bones were on fire, and I had to write a short story for a um, uh, for an anthology of 
of dragon stories and um, one that I was I was already delinquent on that I, I really needed to get finished and um, and so I wrote to the editor and I said okay I figured out the story I'm gonna write I'm gonna write about a bunch of 1950s housewives who turn into dragons and eat their husbands that's what I'm gonna do FYI love Kelly Barnhill so I said that <laughs> and I started to write the story and really quickly I realized I was not writing a story at all this was a novel and um, uh, and very quickly I, I realized that there were three different different sections that needed to come together in very real ways and um, uh, so yeah after after uh, three weeks I had I think 120 pages like it was just like just this huge amount of text came out actually it was more than that anyway so that's that's where that's where it began um. Yeah, it's just it's rough times right now. And I think I think that we are all I mean, we're all reeling in a lot of ways. But um, but I do think that I, I think that, you know, we can look at a lot of history as um, progress and backlash. Right. Um, and the real question, the question is not how um, uh, I. I we we need to keep the progress going because we know that the backlash will um, uh, will occur. But the thing about backlash is that it um, uh, there is this period of um, uh, of trying to eliminate information, right? Trying to stop people from understanding things, uh, trying to remove stories from consciousness, right? Which is what happened in my book, but it's also what's happening right now too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, with um, uh, Florida's Don't Say Gala, w with um, uh, the removal of uh, uh, books about um, uh, books written about people of color, be books uh, um, f uh, written um, uh, uh, both written about and written by um, books written about and written by um, uh, people who are LGBT, uh, the erasure of trans people, the erasure of um, of, of native stories. I mean, it is. It is everywhere and it is pervasive and it is very clear what people are trying to do. It is this mass forgetting, right? It's mm -hmm. trying to um, initiate a mass forgetting. I mean, right. in, the, um, uh, uh, in, in Berlin, there was a, um, uh, a center uh, for um, study on sexuality um, uh, that was 100 years old by the time the Nazis burned it down. It had 100 years of scholarship on gender. It had a hundred years of scholarship on, um, uh, on homosexuality. It is where the first, um, uh, gender affirmation, um, uh, surgeries happened. Uh, you had, um, you had, you know, decades and decades of clinical data. Uh, you had, um, uh, you had an entire building filled with, um, medical scholarship and philosophical scholarship and, uh, scientific scholarship. And it was burned to the ground and people forgot we are having to relearn all of the stuff that was learned in like the 1880s right it's ridiculous but it works unfortunately it works which is why people are trying to do it now oh that's so infuriating but we also i mean we've also been trained as women like going along to getting along and don't get angry and but i mean everything good that ever happened happened because people got angry you know like we have gay rights because marsha p johnson picked up a brick and threw it Right, right. You know, we don't have rights because people ask politely. <laughs> <laughs> 
that doesn't occur. <laughs> it does not. It's good ever. So yeah, no, totally. It is. It is very. It is an infuriating time right now, uh, and I don't know what's going to happen next. I I I wish that um, I wish that this sort of um, uh, um, uh, uh, misuse of narrative. I I wish it wasn't as successful as it is. Um, it makes me really sad. So anyway, not to bum you out, but. So I think I, I think we all know the answer to the first part, but um, if you had the ability to drag in, would you? But uh, what do you think you would look like and would you return or would you just be a dragon out in space? Oh, that's a really great question because it all sounds awesome, doesn't it? I it mean, really going into outer space sounds really amazing. I would love to see the eye of Jupiter up close so much. That would be amazing. Um, I mean, honestly, the thing is that um, I that I mean, no matter what. The, I mean, for for those who dragoned, but in the case of um, uh, of of some who stayed, I mean, no matter what, uh, what I wanted to um, uh, to give my 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 characters a chance to do was to live a life that was bigger than what they were promised. And that can look like a, diff- a bunch of different ways, right? Um, and um, I think that. Um, given my um, uh, propensity towards being a homebody and also a really excellent soak in the bathtub, if I couldn't fit in the bathtub, I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> know what I mean? Um, yeah. But um, uh, but I would be so thrilled for all of my friends who did, you know? Um, uh, I, and uh, um, I think... I would would have been the one to remain behind and watch them fly away with a thrill in the center of my soul. Mm-hmm. It's like the the prom scene in the book was probably my favorite scene, just from um, just from how it plays out and just how in awe. Mm-hmm our main character was it was just so incredible i had the time of my life writing that scene it was literally the the time of my life awesome so good um well what it what is next for you are you working on anything what's what's coming up next a really great question. So I have a um, novella that is coming out uh, with Tor.com in um, in February. Uh, that's called The Crane Husband, uh, which is another uh, <laughs> exploration of of uh, trauma and violence uh, uh, um, in a generational sort of way. But it's a um, I mean, fairy tales with um, uh, bird lovers and bird spouses are very common. 
Uh, we see them all throughout um, uh, 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 European storytelling, you see it all in, um, uh, in, uh, uh, fairy tales from, uh, the Arabian Peninsula. You see all, you see it all along the, the Silk Road. And, um, and you see the, probably most famously the, uh, Korean folktale, the crane, the crane wife. Mm. Uh, in some ways, um, I know that sometimes people will call it an adaptation of the crane wife. I, I don't think it is. I, I think it's actually a, a, in conversation, uh, with, with the crane wife but this is a um a story about a um uh the daughter of a um of a uh, she's a, a tapestry artist um uh, and they live in the farmhouse that has been their family's farmhouse for generations but nobody actually owns they, they don't own the farm anymore they live right on the edge of what is now owned by this huge farming conglomerate um uh, and so it takes place in the near future um in which farming is all entirely automated and all done by you know drones and whatever it's all run by a software engineer um uh who never touches the fields nobody touches the fields anymore the the fields belong to the corn um and um and so but in in their family's history um uh there is this old story that um uh uh that that women the, the women in the family the, the mothers in their family um uh become cranes and fly away and um uh this is why farmers have daughters um uh to make sure that somebody's there to uh keep things going after the mothers leave and um and so but her but it is broken for their family the um first of all her father died of cancer uh probably because of the various chemicals that are being put on the uh, on the cornfield um and um which means that she can't fly away. She can't leave the children. Uh, but also there's no more farm. There's no place for her to leave from. And so she's kind of trapped. Um, and one day a, um, a, a crane, a six foot crane comes in and she falls in love with the crane and, um, uh, and, uh, he comes in and he alters her life and, and the children's lives and, and the, um, and so our, our main character is witnessing these changes happening in her mother, um, and witnessing what she thinks the crane is after. Um, and, um, and so again, it becomes this, um, this story about, um, uh, uh, generational trauma and generational violence, uh, but also, um, uh, what we have to do, uh, to protect our family, even when, um, uh, we have to protect our family from themselves. Um, so anyway, that's that book. Mom. It's the darkest, weirdest thing I've ever written. Like, I mean, like, I love dark, weird stuff, so. <laughs> so anyway <laughs> yeah there's a little good dark weird story <laughs> um well thank you for sharing that um we also like to ask our guests since we are first and foremost a book recommendation podcast so besides when women were dragons what else should we and our listeners read do you have any recommendations for us that's a really good question i mean so first of all here i'm going to grab it um, this book went through my whole family and we love it so much. Um, The House on the Cerulean Sea. Um, but his next book, um, uh, oh, um, 
what is it called? Under, under the whispering door. Under the whispering door. Thank you. It was like it has a door and it's whispering. How is it? Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, under the whispering door are both so wonderful. They're both so wonderful, and I highly, highly recommend them. But also, I've been rereading this book, Mama Day by Gloria Naylor. As you can see, I've been thinking Ooh. about it heavily. Um, uh, it's such a wonderful book and um if you have it i mean it was written a while ago gosh when was it written i feel like it was like the 80s when it um uh, came out but it might have been even older than that i'm gonna see because now i'm curious um yeah 1988 um it's wonderful it's a wonderful book uh, gloria naylor is a wonderful writer and you should read it so wow. those are my recommendations Oh, great. Thank you for those. Um, I loved House and Cerulean Sea. Um, I hadn't heard of Mama Day uh, or Mama's Day, so. Yeah, Mama Day. Is the, Mama Day. So. <laughs> oh, it's it's really good. Um, awesome. uh, yeah, it's also, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, this this family with this intergenerational power and like the ways in which we separate ourselves from um, our own birthright, uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But it's also a love story and um, story of revenge. Um, uh, it's really great. That's really great. Cool. Great. Well, thank you again, Kelly, for coming on our show. This has been amazing. Um, just kind of hearing hearing you talk and, and everything about your book. And um, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here with you guys and the lovely conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me. So that's our show. You can get When Women Were Dragons and Kelly Barnhill's other books on Libro FM with the promo code WYSR. That is a new promo code. Uh, so just WYSR. Yes. And be sure to follow us on social media. We are WYSR underscore podcast on Instagram and on Twitter. You can email us at what you should read podcast at gmail.com and feel free to leave us a rating and a review wherever you subscribe to our podcast. We would really appreciate it. And now you know what you should read. You're welcome. You know what you should read. You know what you should read. It's time for what you should read. The podcast all about the titles you need. Join three book lovers and a guest as they cover all the best new titles to enjoy with your team. I have that, but I haven't read it yet.